We're just questioning why we wanted to talk about this movie. <laughs> the Third Man. <laughs> well, it's a classic. I mean, it's one of the top 100 films ever made. So, really? According to who? Well, Roger Ebert, oh, okay. who's now deceased. <laughs> it is. Uh, AFI, I'm sure, has it very high on the list. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a great movie. It was, it was very good. Well, that last shot. I mean, yeah. he's walking down the... the or the well, No, there. she's walking down the, the oh, tunnel of the yeah. trees in the lane. And it just stays on that shot forever. Yeah. And there's they a, pass by each other. You know, it's, uh, it's great. The best shot in this film, I think, is probably when the silhouettes in the sewer oh, yeah. I are, think so are the best visual, I think. Well, that's the, the iconic movie. shot. Like, if you just yeah. look up, you know, the third man. Like, when they get Orson Welles and he's, like, stuck in the, right in the center <laughs> yeah. of the sewer, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the moral of the story. The podcast where a writer, a philosopher, and a filmmaker explore the stories that make us and the morality that makes the story. I I was looking up the the backstory of the production of the film, Mm -hmm. and Orson Welles, so one of the producers almost didn't hire him. Really? It was a big battle to get him into the movie. Wow, um, because that's one of them considered him like they quote box office poison. Um, <laughs> he was funny. the Marvel uh, you, creator of that time. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, uh, anyway, they did, but he showed up late. He didn't get on. He didn't come to Vienna when he was supposed to come. Wow. So they had to invent all the shadow shots of his character were created because he was not there. Wow. Wow. And so and they that's got us one they of got the most iconic double. things about yeah, the film is that you amazing. never see him they, yeah, they till got the middle. A, they that's had crazy. A, like, the, uh, like the associate director wore a big coat or a, a coat in a coat hanger to create his same shape or stature or Orson <laughs> wow. Welles. And yeah, then, yeah, he has anyway. a very distinct, like he, he's very broad. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, very yeah. imposing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Anyway, I thought huh. that was pretty hilarious. And then when he finally did come, they had three crews. They had a sewer crew, a day crew, and a night crew. And the director was on, I forget, it was some 1940, uh, I guess it, this was 40s, right? 40s, 48? Yeah. Um, 19, some 1940s sleep drug to stay up. And wow. he literally worked all, the, all around the clock with every crew. Oh, my God. Directing. Wow. And just never stopped. Oh. And then, uh, but when Orson Welles got there to Vienna, they had the sewer crew already. Yeah. And he did like one day and he said, I can't work under these conditions. And then they had to build an entire sewer set in London. You can tell on some of them. Yeah. Too. That it, that yeah. it anyway, but it's, which I thought was all doesn't speak too well of Orson Welles, but yeah. it's, um, it was pretty fascinating. Well, and Ben, were you telling me that they were actually shooting in like real, yeah. World War two ruins. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, yeah. the film is set in the aftermath of World War One right. and the chaos and the ruin after the, all the bombings. But it's actually after World War Two that, like, literally they were that was right. the time period they filmed mm, in. Yeah. So when you see all the giant shadows of the ruins and the yeah. rubble, that's all there. Like, and it, you can kind of tell it doesn't look fake. No, you know? it doesn't. It looks very it's realistic. Like, the city is sense. in ruins. Right. Yeah. So, which, which that's one of the coolest things about the film is the light and the dark, right? Because yeah. you have mm-hmm. these massive rubble heaps and, um, Mm-hmm. The, and and of course the shadows probably help them to conceal yeah. Orson Welles' absence. <laughs> right, right. But there's like the scene yeah. where you know the balloon man comes up and yeah. he's like yeah, way yeah. taller than that he is, really is. That and is a very Hitchcockian kind of a feeling. Yeah, like, right. The, the, the nightmare. The there's a little bit that. of the nightmare. Right. Well, and they boy they they all they kind of use that Dutch angle. 
Oh, they used it a lot. A lot. A lot. <laughs> right. Even for... It was almost like, okay, this is a little much. Well, and they use it in some scenarios where it's like, well, I see what you're trying to do, but that's like uh, they were having just normal conversations at like one of the coffee shops or something. They had like all the Dutch angles. I'm like, I feel like that wasn't the perfect yeah. scenario to use that. Like yeah. it, they're, they're used, you know, often to like be imposing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, this is a pretty tame scene in the film that I yeah. thought it was just kind of distracting. Yeah, know. yeah. Well, well, just, well, just so y'all though. know, and, and for our listeners out there, we're discussing The Third Man yeah. by Carol Reed, who is a British director and starring Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton. Yeah, one of the things that we should say here right at the outset is that uh, the moral of the story, you know, sometimes we're talking about new films, sometimes, as you will have heard if you heard our previous episodes, uh, we were talking, you know, about one film, but about kind of the genre or, you know, family of work that surrounds it. But one of the ideas is not just to be a show that reviews new movies, uh, which there are dozens of, but to actually go back and and discuss the uh, val- validity, the quality of the great works of cinema and art in general, because there's an interesting uh perspective, I guess, on this by C.S. Lewis and that the truly great art is art that gets re-watched or re-read. Um, yeah. The, the art I, that you go back to again and again yeah. is the truly great art. When you see something, stories. there are yeah. things that you see once and it's a thrill and it's like, whoa, you know, yeah. and <laughs> that was eloquent. It's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, it's interesting. Very well because, put, uh, Alex. <laughs> because, you, um, and, uh, you know, I have my own beefs with this director's work, but, um, but Martin Scorsese's recent essay on, on film, he talks mm-hmm. about like North by Northwest. And he talks about this very thing where, you know, if you look at a film like that starring Cary Grant, Alfred Hitchcock, famous film, um, Yes, it's exciting the first time you see it because of these action set pieces. Mm-hmm. But he says the thing that keeps you watching it is the loneliness mm. and lostness of Cary Grant yeah, in that yeah. role. So there's like the third and fourth viewing. There's these things that start to emerge mm-hmm. that they're more human, right? And they right. And, it, and the film keeps giving to you. And this is why I love the Third Man because the Third Man is truly an onion of a film because yeah. it opens with. Joseph Cotton arriving in Vienna. It's a very odd opening. You know, this voiceover, that narrator, he never yeah. returns. And suddenly, Joseph Cotton is That's in Orson Vienna. That's Orson Welles, too, isn't it? No, it's a totally it? different it's just narrator. It's just, a, it's just a narrator. Okay. I don't think yeah, it's... Was, he he doesn't I, even appear in the film. It's just an opening again, device. I was, I was trying to think, is that Orson Welles? Who yeah. is that? Then, yeah, no, but so Joseph Cotton lands in Vienna, and Orson Welles has promised him, he's an old school buddy of his, and he's promised him a job in Vienna um, doing some unnamed work. Writing Joseph, at his medical charity. Yes, writing for his medical charity. And Joseph Cotton arrives, You know, he's supposedly a novelist, and he arrives to find Orson Welles dead, that they're burying him. Pause. And this is a murder mystery story. If you have not seen it, we are probably going to spoil the whole thing for you. Not probably, <laughs> yes. most definitely. Yeah, most so, definitely. <laughs> pause should, the podcast. Pause the podcast, go watch the movie. It, this is, you know, it's you a great film. It anywhere. It's oh, been yeah. out it's over been 50 out a years. Long time, so, so you, you we can't no really excuse. fault us for spoiling it, but we are about to blow this whole story open. So yes. if you do have any interest in seeing it, Go watch it. All right, Ben. Continue. Well, well, and one of the first things, and that I would happens, say you should. You should. Right. Yeah. You it's should. a part of film history. Right. It's yeah. considered one of the greatest noir uh, films of all time. 
right of yeah. the genre roger ebert afi and, and noir all the lists that if you, you don't would. know what noir means it's the black and white detective stories you know like what actually one of my favorite shticks on the old show the old version of prairie home companion that uh, oh yeah, yeah uh, guy noir what private his, eye what, oh, what's his name <laughs> that did prairie home Oh, uh, um, Garrison Keillor. Yeah, Garrison Keillor's yeah. show. I heard about Guy Noir, Private Eye. And it always <laughs> goes like, ding, ding. And he's a private detective. And some woman walks in like, help me, Guy Noir. I've got my my puppy was lost. One and of I- my favorite <laughs> jokes about it. It's in the, I don't know if you've seen this. It's in the uh, the the Spider-Man film Into the Spider-Verse, but one of the different Spider-Man is Spider Noir, oh, really? right. <laughs> and he's he's drawn all in black and white. Oh yeah, and he calls himself wasn't it Benjamin Parker or like Benjamin or, yeah, Parker? Par- he's Benjamin vo- he's Parker. voiced by Nick Cage, which <laughs> he's like he's like. Sometimes I just light matches and let it burn to my fingers to feel anything, anything at all. <laughs> so he's uh, a yeah, it's, it's a well, very and, dramatic. And this is the era that yeah. gave birth to noir, partly because of the uh, technology at the time, right? Well, this is 1948 was when this film came out, and they were still in black and white predominantly. I mean, not not everything was. They had color back in. I think, yeah, I think but, 39 was Wizard of Oz. That was the first right. movie that used color. But, but it, it was, was really still, a special it was, effect. It was really, it was, it was very. It was still an industry standard. Was mm-hmm. was to shoot yeah. in black and white. And it's funny, so. uh, re, uh, kind of researching this episode and, and watching this film, and I heard a quote that Orson Welles said that black and white is the actor's friend. It's the be- actor's best tool because it makes every <laughs> performance better. I mean, um, it hides a lot of mistakes for sure. That's, oh, it does that's for sure. Yeah. And and it was interesting because somebody was saying he he was talking about that it doesn't it uh, keeps you not distracted by the, the thing like the, of, the, the blue eyes of the actor or whatever yeah. else that um that's a good point the other thing that i thought was interesting is that they almost had jimmy stewart play cotton's character oh really whoa that, that would have been, been very that different. that would have actually been better i think yeah no I think that would have been a better movie no Cotton's oh. not my favorite person but now, this in is that, joseph the hitchcock role film, like of the all hitchcock the roles he film, had um you were talking about rear window re- no 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 the one oh shadow of a doubt shadow of yeah. a doubt he's incredible in that yeah no yeah, that, that, that is amazing that may be his best i feel role, like but... it's a little his his he's sort of like I, I don't know to me in this film it's a little bit of a uh kind of a second tier um who's the guy humphrey in bogart. humphrey bogart yeah. kind of a thing well but no like, his eh, character's totally really different bogart. so so okay so here i'm gonna defend the movie a little bit from from that critique because when it opens and and if you've read graham green novels it helps a lot which um yeah one of the reasons this film was such a big deal is that it brought all these heavy hitters together right um, yeah carol oh, yeah. reed as a yeah. director graham at green, the time let's tell people who uh, graham green is Orson graham green yeah graham green was one of the he's a very very popular novelist uh, who wrote detective stories in the mid 20th century? Yeah, and dramas, and and he was uh, he was known for what they called Greenland, hmm. you know, uh, <laughs> his uh, like the like the country, but uh, um, but you spell his name with an extra e, so mm-hmm. Green E Land was how they called it. But Greenland was the place where all of his books were set, and it was dirty and corrupt and kind of imperial and imperial, imperial and and. Always had like a, a quasi-religious emphasis, mm-hmm. but all the characters. He was a troubled. Were he up. was a troubled Catholic. Um, yeah, kind of famous for that actually. Yeah, like yeah, he, yeah, he wore it on his sleeve. We have something special today that we're just starting, and it's a good time with mentioning Graham Greene because he is our recommended author of the week. 
Um, there's yeah. many books you could choose from. Our our top, my top pick is probably The Power and the Glory. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and we have a special deal for you that um, helps support the show and gives you a free book. You can go to that link in the description and get a free audiobook download. And so our recommended book this week in honor of the third man written by Graham Greene is The Power and the Glory. Which is a very is impacting a book. Great, uh, great book. Um, it's not one of his detective stories, really. Um, yeah. That one set in the Spanish Civil War um, yeah. era. That, but Yeah, that's a drama. But, but it has themes. All of Graham's work has themes that carry over. And, and one of the are you buddies, themes, do you, are your first name basis? I've actually I've read Graham's books. I mean, <laughs> we're on, yeah. I mean, when you read, this was of Benjamin's books, yeah. uh, recommendation, both, uh, yeah. no, both um, the- no, it, it's, it's fascinating. And you can see this when the film opens because, uh, Joseph Cotton arrives and his name is Holly Martins. And immediately you learn, uh, immediately he starts, uh, kind of faux weeping, over the death of his friend, mm-hmm. right? And he, yeah. he goes to a bar and he gets drunk talking about the old days when they were friends and the police officer who's with him and he keeps getting his name wrong. And actually, that's a really important thread through the movie because if you notice, he gets his name wrong all the way to the middle of the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. When there is a flip in his yeah. consciousness that takes place. He kind of realizes that he's not against him. Yeah, he's and, not against him. And does he um, call him Harry? No, Harry. What, what does he call him? Oh, he calls him... His name is he, Callaway, and he kept calling yes. him Callahan. Callahan. It's like, Callahan. I'm, not, I'm, not I'm not Scottish, I'm yes. British. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and Cotton is getting the sergeant's name wrong. Yeah, well, it's actually not the sergeant. It's the police... The police, police, uh, yeah, the the police, police captain. Police yeah. captain, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, the police captain takes him to a bar because he wants to get information out of him, and Holly Martin starts this sob story about how tragic it was that Orson Welles had died and all these things. And uh, Calloway says, that sounds like a cheap novelette. And then Holly Martin says, well, actually, I write cheap novelettes. As did Graham Greene. As yeah. did Graham Greene. And so basically what you find out is that Holly Martin's is a stand-in for a lot of Greene's anti-heroes, which yeah. is that there are washed-up writers that have kind of sold out because they couldn't make it doing legitimate writing. Hmm. Where might he have been inspired to <laughs> tell that story? <laughs> tell that story. But the whole thing is that Holly Martins, and this is the way to understand the movie, and you'll get so much out of it if you realize this going in. The key to the movie is that Holly Martins is living one of his novels. Right. Yeah. He lands in Vienna, and he realizes that his friend is dead, and he decides to solve the murder. So like Luke, when you said, it's a murder mystery. The irony is that it is and it isn't. Yeah. Right? Right. Because at the middle, spoiler alert, Orson Welles isn't dead. That's the whole thing. Through the first half of the movie, everybody walks around remembering Orson Welles. Holly Harry Martins, Lime. a Holly Martins remembers him and basically, Harry. basically Harry. falsifies, <laughs> basically falsifies his memory. Remembers him as a good man and he was a good friend. And yeah, none of which was true. Right, you because learn. we want to remember the dead positively. Right. right, and then uh, the girlfriend of Orson Welles, who Holly Martin's or Joseph Cotton falls for, she also remembers him in this romantic, way. romanticized way. Yeah. And at the middle of the movie, this ghost, the third man, right, which which was like the person that left the crime scene and no one knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Turns out it was Orson Welles, and someone else had gotten killed. Um, well, he had knocked off the guy who was the witness to his crimes, right? Um, with and. 
and made it appear that that he had faked his own death in the process and escaped to where else? The Russians. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Ben, you say, you know, the key to understanding this movie is the fact that he's in his own stories. And they kind of hint to that in Mm -hmm. the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, um, I can't remember. I think he was having an interaction with either the the police captain or the the guy with the dog that played the violin, the really creepy looking guy that was in in league with. Oh yeah, the other. Oh racket, yeah, racket yeah. Here. the Baron or um, yeah. The Count I can't remember something. who he was interacting with, mm-hmm. but um, he he basically uh, made a comment of you know I've already started writing my next book. Yeah, it's a murder mystery, and it's called the Third and Man. And it's called the Third Man, <laughs> right? And so you know they kind of do a little uh-huh. you know. <laughs> Let, little to that, yeah, like a little a movie Easter within egg. a movie, exactly. That, well, and that's the thing is that he says a movie that by a writer about a writer in a movie mm-hmm. about a book being written by the writer. <laughs> right. This was the original Inception. A movie written yes. by a book writer who writing a anyway. Well, okay, ben, but, but, but the moment, the moment of truth, though, and this is where the the movie goes from being kind of a tongue in cheek noir movie that's self aware, right? Which is what it is through the first half mm-hmm. to being after he says that. Uh, Calloway, the police detective, who he keeps getting his name wrong, he takes Holly Martins to a police room and shows him all the evidence against Orson Welles. And basically, Orson Welles has been doing these horrific black market things where he's been selling medicine that's tainted on purpose to sell more of it. And basically, people who take the medicine die or get. He was horrific. diluting penicillin, right. and so yes. they were. I, I don't. I don't know what's supposed to happen when you take diluted penicillin, but I think a lot of people were dying. It becomes a an ineffective at least. Well, yeah. and children were yeah. were being hurt in this meningitis and so, victims yeah. Yeah. that were yeah. So he was ruining, literally maiming and ruining the lives of dozens and dozens, hundreds of people yeah. with a fake medicine racket. Um, and and the but but yeah. the point being that when. Uh, Holly Martin sees this evidence finally. Mm-hmm. He has a you know total switch of mind and dis- and realizes that Orson Welles is the villain. Yeah, right. That Orson Welles is not a friend. He's actually the villain. And that Callahan, or not Callahan. Well, he Callaway, didn't know he's alive yet, though. He doesn't know he's still alive yeah, at that. He point. didn't. He had. He still seen thinks him. he's oh, dead. That's, that's right. So he's like, how that's did right. I? How, what happened to my friend? Twenty years, I knew him, and I thought I knew him, and I didn't know him, and and, and he and he symbolically meets him again. Right, yeah. well, that's After the first he, time when he's yeah. out of the shadow. Which I was actually thinking about the physics of light and whether or not a, a bedroom window lit in a square could cast light on something. I don't face. think it would have. <laughs> not <laughs> quite like that. It was key to the story. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, and it's key. one of the most iconic moments it in is. cinema oh, yeah. Yeah. when the light shines on Orson Welles' face. Orson Welles is so good at being bad. Yeah, yeah. the Cheshire Cat smile is. Oh the yeah, he's like. He's, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then that leads to the confrontation between Holly Martins and Orson Welles, which is on the Ferris wheel. Right. Which, actually, I say the other scene is famous. That is the most famous scene in... In the whole film. In the whole film. I mean, and and you've probably seen that scene in a lot of, like, greatest scenes of cinema, you know, with Leonard Martin. Yeah. Well, and um, it's funny, too. and, And one of the ways the film kind of is interesting to me is that you have moments like that where today... It would have been some big fight scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. they would have had a fight on the Ferris oh, wheel, and he would have tried to kill him and stuff. And they, and like, they almost go there. Yeah. They almost go there, but then it's like, nope, de-escalate. Yeah. And it kind of just it keeps the whole burn of the movie going. Right. Where when finally there is a confrontation, it's way more powerful Impacting. than it would yeah. would have been otherwise, which right. I think is interesting. But so at the beginning of this, and Ben, this is let's pose this question here because. Mm-hmm. 
uh, last night was, or the night before was my first time watching it in preparation mm-hmm. for this. And so you have seen it multiple times, mm-hmm. I assume. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but on the surface, it, it, it kind of looks like, a, and I'm, you know, I'm, there's a lot of deeper elements, but on some levels it kind of looks one dimensional mm-hmm. and that is just a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. But it's an, un, you know, you, you said it's like an onion and that it has many. So what are some of the big moral like dilemmas of this movie for you? Well, the, the dilemma of this movie, to me, it revolves around two things. One, it revolves around what we think we know. Yeah. Right, that's the first dilemma, the dilemma of knowledge. Who knows? The right, Don Do, Rumsfeld. We, well, known <laughs> knowns, known yeah, unknowns. And, and the deception unknown, of, unknowns. of memory, right? The decept- <laughs> that, that the heart is deceptive, right? That, yeah. The, yeah. that the heart is deceptive and that we can deceive ourselves by living out a story that's not true. We actually discussed this in our Disney episode. Mm. You know, living out stories that aren't mm-hmm. true and that this leads us to call things that are bad good and good things bad, which is like calling mm. Callaway Callahan. Yeah. Like, he's, he's, he's created this fictional villain called Callahan that has nothing to do with the real police officer, Callaway. And right, it's completely right. inaccurate. And it's completely inaccurate of who he he's, is. He's typecast him as one of his novelette characters. Right, right. exactly. Like, You're the corrupt policeman who's, uh, who's <laughs> bad-mouthing <laughs> my up. friend, yeah. and right, my right. friend's got to be innocent, and I've yeah. got to prove it. And He was murdered. He wasn't an accident. And all, right, all of right. Those things. And then the other theme of the movie, to me, is the theme of once you recognize the evil, do you have the courage to kill it? Which is a great question because the deep question, right, at the end of this movie that's not really answered, yeah. maybe, maybe you think it is, but who fired the last shot. Yeah. Oh. So you think Orson Welles might have killed himself? Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I, and I agree with Alex there. I think he did that intentionally of it's kind of up to you to decide. Yeah. Did he it's commit like, suicide? Did he commit or suicide or did, did, did uh, Martin's pull the trigger? I think Martin's pulled the trigger myself. And and here's why I think so. I think so. I agree with Ben, Be- but... I do think he left it up to interpretation. Yeah. I think yeah, Martin's the movie. It's a lady in the tiger. But I do yeah. think that he yeah. kind of submitted that as a, well, you, you decide. Could, you who, could go either way. You like, could go either way. Because the, the question- The main cue is the nod. The nod, Orson Welles like, looks on him and nods. Yeah. And then- And I thought for a minute there, he was going to let him live. Yeah. Right. Like, you, I think yeah. it's, and I think that was intentional too. It's like, oh, is he going to, is he going to let him get away? Be- Maybe knowing that he's mortally wounded already. It's kind of like Saul falling on his sword. It's like he was beat. And it was like, I want you to take me out rather than yeah. let me. So it was almost like, is that his friend? Is, is it a mercy of, killing yeah. or like a, I, I, yeah, however yeah. some yeah. sort of, of justice? I think it's interesting when you were talking about our, the self deception and self false narratives that we, we can live in or, or tell ourselves. Um, because you do all this time, you know, uh, Martins and the girl all act like Harry's just this great person. But then when he finally meets Harry, and they talk in the Ferris wheel, and he knows that he was guilty, and and yeah. and, and Harry makes it clear that he makes no pretense of being innocent yeah. ab- about the whole thing, and even talks gives one of these you know, like look at the dots, yeah. the little ants, yeah. it's one, of those, it's one of those dots playing, vanished, I'm playing yeah. God, you know, and you were speech. paid what thirty thousand yeah. dollars for every dot that yeah. fell over. Would you say just, no? You could just sell them out, and and, uh, and at the and, and and later in that scene, he says the most famous line of the whole movie, which is. You know, in the in the Renaissance, you had the Borgias and you had yes. wars and deaths. Oh, and yeah. what did it produce? Michelangelo, Da Vinci, right. and yeah. the Renaissance. 
the Swiss had 400 years of peace, and what did that deliver? The, the cuckoo, cuckoo clock. clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a, that's a great line. Well, but, it is. But I, it, and you know, it's funny about that. I think I read that that line. I've I've heard two things. One is that Orson Welles came up with a lot of that on the spot. It wasn't mm-hmm. in the script. But wow. then the second thing is that I think it was written by um, one of the act co-wrote by one of the actors there. It's like wow. a famous mm-hmm. actors who was, mm-hmm. was collaborating, Man. but. But the other line in that scene that always really sticks with me is when uh, Holly Martin says, you know, we used to believe in God. Yeah. And that's really the heart of the movie in some ways, because mm-hmm. what Orson Welles is showcasing from that lofty Ferris wheel is basically, it's like God and the devil. You know, yeah. there's this, um, you either look out over the world and you see the little dots and how much money you can make and yeah. and, and that perspective, which in the aftermath of World War II, was not... you know, that, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. I mean, you're talking about post-Holocaust, post all the evil that had happened. And so what Orson Welles is saying has this resonance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Holly Martin says, well, the way to recover that is to believe in God. And... The thing um, that's ironic, though, is that that very question, because Orson Welles poses, if you could make 30 grand for every one of those you know, dots you eliminate or knock off, you know, wouldn't you do it? Uh, and then at the end, though, Martins is put in the position of trying to buy the girl's freedom in exchange for selling out Harry. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of like he's willing to snuff out Harry because Harry's guilty in order to save the girl, not for money, but for somebody else, like a life for a life kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but then Which she won't have it. Which he was conflicted about. Well, he was conflicted about he it. Ultimately he ultimately went through with but it. Then but then he felt, but then at some point, for a part of his character's arc, he feels guilty about selling out Harry, even though Harry is totally guilty. Yeah. And deserves and, and to deserves be punished. deserves everything, yeah. Yeah, deserves to die, deserves to hang. But he then, over some time, after she rejects him being the price of his, you know, betraying Harry, and giving him over to the police, mm-hmm. he then does it just on its own sake. And that, to me, is the film's triumph, okay? Mm. Because it starts with what? What's happened? It starts mm. with him arriving and Harry Lyme, his best friend, Orson Welles. It's not really his best friend, but he thinks he is. Mm-hmm. Um, he is more, he's going to find who killed him, mm-hmm. right? That's the drive. I'm going to find who killed my friend. And at the end of the movie... He's the one who killed his friend. Yeah, and and the other thing is that the story he created, where he was chasing down the killer, is one where he's courageous, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a man, and I have the guts to hunt down this person. Yeah, and it was what's full re- of that. Like we can't protect you in that part of the city. He's like, I never asked you to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so he's living this mock world. But when it's the real world, when it really is a villain, and it really is stakes, and it really mm. is true morality. Does he have the courage? Yeah. Right. Is he really a courageous person? Mm-hmm. And to me, the the thing that makes that final killing of Harry Harry Lyman, and I think he did kill him. That's how I would interpret the movie. Yeah. But that when he did kill him, um, what he's really doing is he has become, in a sense, the person that he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That the killing is, in some sense, a breaking free of the cycle of self deception. Well, and he's he's become the hero of the story. Yeah, yeah. By force. Right. And that's part of... And the girl leaving him behind at the end, which is the film's other iconic moment, mm-hmm. you know, that long shot right at the end. Yeah. He sits by the pillar mm-hmm. to wait for her, and she walks straight into the center of the camera and doesn't even look at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah, And 
what she embodied through the whole film was that romanticism, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was she was romanticism, even though Harry had sold her out to the Russians. Yeah, right. he's the one that she yeah. still would. She still wanted to believe the myth of the lies that Harry told her. Right. Yeah. And it was she preferred to believe the lie rather than actually deal with reality. Right. And and to me, that's the film's genius because it posits these two realities, mm-hmm. these two realms, these two stories, and one is told by the devil, right? Because Orson Welles is a devil figure. Yeah. Right. And the and it's where you live according to your ego and according to these fic- fictions that you create for yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can find even meaningful relationships because the fictions overlap, right? The fictions of yeah. the girl and the fictions of mm-hmm. uh, Joseph Cotton, they overlap. And a lot of people live that way. A lot of people live these egotistical stories that are where they're the hero of that story. Mm-hmm. And they may even fall in love with somebody or like create whole empires Mm -hmm. of business and life choices on these stories. And all it is is just kind of selfish people, egotistical people whose stories overlap. Right. Mm -hmm. And we decide to believe the same lie and we decide to believe the same, you know, narratives Mm. like Harry Lyme represents. But the other opposite version is what uh, Calloway represents, which is, factual it's about people other people people who get mm-hmm, hurt mm-hmm. it's about justice yeah. mm-hmm. um it's about asking the right questions you know not being sentimental truth truth mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. and at the end you know um uh, Call- uh Calloway <laughs> I always want to get his name mixed up Calloway how easy it is to do but uh but Calloway and he you know he leaves Holly Martins and he drives away because even at the end, Holly Martins can't quite leave the romanticism behind. There's yeah. a little part of himself that longs for the day when he could live in self-deception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I don't know. I think the film, I, I always admire stories that start out with A, and you think they're going to go to, I don't know, what's the middle letter of the alphabet? Gonna go to I don't know no I don't know <laughs> they're gonna go to C-G-G-S. J right too early <laughs> <laughs> but you know in other and it said it goes to Z right it comes full circle yeah. you know mm-hmm. a, a lesser story like Casablanca to me that's a movie that a lot of people love to talk about to me it actually is like a story that is pretty simple because mm-hmm. it believes its own myth about itself yeah. Well, it's and, just sentimentality. And it's just, just sentimentality from start to finish. Large. Yeah. And you have to buy into that to enjoy it. Right. But what Third Man is about is it starts out you thinking that it's that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then there's all these moments that foreshadow the fact that it's not. It's about actually subverting that movie. They foreshadow yeah. Orson Welles? Well, like the scene right <laughs> at the front where uh, he talks to the guy who ends up dying, the innkeeper. Oh, yeah. And they can't understand each yeah. other. And, and even those language problems, it's mm-hmm. all foreshadowings of this theme and every scene in the movie is about that theme the fact Which that green, we don't understand each other that yeah. we're talking green past is preoccupied with that even yeah. in his novels he's preoccupied with the idea of we can't connect um we i want to make love but the the heat of this tropic climate is too too much yeah. i can't even touch you i'm too <laughs> heavy i'm too sweaty you know like, like there's all yeah. this stuff about green, like green lack is... of connection we can't can you know all of this stuff i think that was obviously something in his life he had an issue with yeah yeah but, but that that lack of communication unintelligibility of the world yeah is and and that, that i think if, if you're lot. going to critique green on any level you would say that green doesn't believe 
in his in the truth he's preaching enough. He doesn't believe it in enough to depict characters that actually do become good. They're like reluctant. They're always reluctant heroes. I think he must have thought that the romantic, like the the uh, the romantic element of the desire for the woman, was the thing that no man could ever overcome. Yeah, well, it's the thing he could never overcome in real the, life. Right, that was his. Yeah, that was he his, had a, his an affair with sin. a woman, and he could never. Right, he and never one of his novels is it. written yeah. about the idea that this man dies and basically consigns himself to hell because he won't let go of a girl. Wow. Right, and that's and that's and, ultimately, you know. At the end, of the and that's movie. where this movie ends. It's kind like, of where it ends. Still, like, right. He could have gone home, he continued go his home. life. Yeah, but, like he can't. Even let go though of the she girl. continually rejects him, and even though he said earlier in the movie, like I go places, I drink too much, I fall in love with girls. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like so. How many girls have you fallen in love with? <laughs> I know. You know? Yeah. That, was, that was my thought. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's interesting, and and honestly, I mean, like, the first thing I thought of when I thought of. Uh, Orson Welles' ant speech, you know, where they look up from the top of this Ferris wheel and they see this sea of people, you know, tiny dots mm-hmm. below them, um, is honestly part of what today reminded me of Big Pharma. Oh, really? You know, like the drug epidemic yeah. that we're on, you know, and you think well, of think of opioids right mm-hmm. now, yeah, and what's coming out about corruption and in prescription of them, right. of manufacture of them. All Which is basically stuff. what he was doing. I mean, yeah. he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't an addiction drugs, problem. It was but, a faulty drug that was killing people. I mean, which is probably happening today too. That's probably you know? yeah, yeah. Probably there's a whole black market. Is, of, but but you think? I guess to me, one of my takeaways from the Third Man today, um, other than don't be involved in racketeering and uh, organized crime, <laughs> uh, which is always a good idea, um, is really centered around like the culture of life. You know, like mm-hmm. you see this tiny dot and it's about recognizing the enormity of the soul in that, what looks like a tiny dot. You know, from space, we can't see any of us, yeah. you know. But um, when you see every every individual you see has that power like all the all the concern they had over harry lime which mm-hmm. i think his name must have been a pun on on a like molding rotten lime oh <laughs> <laughs> was what i thought like, harry lime how harry does a lime, lime get harry um you know that he was rotten to the core but uh you know they were taking so much concern over the fact that he had died yeah but to him it didn't matter who died right he didn't care at all if anybody died right. and so that was that's like and he the didn't deep care about the- irony People that were close to him who cared. Right. You know? He didn't, he he didn't care about the girl. Out. He did, Yeah. Nothing. Just total yeah. disregard for human life. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and in a sense, it's a very Chestertonian story. Um, Chesterton actually wrote, if you guys don't know, G.K. Chesterton, he was a very, he wrote like 4,000 essays and countless books and uh, detective stories and a lot of great things. Journalist. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and Green was uh, very influenced by Chesterton and some of his own works i think c.s lewis was a big fan tolkien read chesterton and chesterton uh wrote a lot of detective stories and some of them dealt with this fact that atheism at its root makes it it makes it meaningless to kill anyone right Mm -hmm. killing someone if you're an atheist shouldn't mean anything because there's nothing at stake Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. You know, you're yeah. just you're just a dot on the face of the globe, and this is exactly the mindset that Harry Lime 
gives in his speech. Right. Chesterton one wrote of, a great... One of the best... Uh, oh, well, Chesterton... What, yeah. maybe, maybe you're about to tell the same well, no, story. No, 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 no. Uh, go ahead. Chesterton had this great short story. Essentially, this guy is studying under a scientist who doesn't believe in God and doesn't believe in the spirit and doesn't believe in a soul. Um, and he goes to the end of the story and he says, I'm going to kill you because I believe you now. You convince mm. me there's no God. You convince me of no spirit. You convince me there's no soul and I hate you for it. And so I'm going to kill you. Wow. And that's like how the, that's who the murderer is in the story. And that's kind of what Orson Welles character is really showing. Right. And, and and that's actually really interesting at how many Christian writers of the time, because they were confronting Nazi Germany Mm -hmm. and the Soviet Union and the specter of atheism, like Mm -hmm. empowered atheism Mm -hmm. with a kind of, like no morality, like mm-hmm. a false morality or a humanist morality, um, that that would lead to just mass murder, mm-hmm. which yeah. everyone had seen. Great but character. to wrap up, you know, look, thinking about the third man, and this is why it uh, give you a peek behind the scenes. I was the one who wanted us to review this movie, and it's because I, after watching it again and again, I think that there is something really powerful, and and Green does this a lot about a character who says they're going to do something, um, who thinks they're going to do something, uh, maybe even intends to do it, but not really. There's an inaction about their life. The fact that they've never really done anything. And Holly Martins is a character who's never really done anything his whole life. Mm -hmm. He's just wandered. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he ever really does is kill the guy who he said was a great man who's really an evil an evil man. And that's where the movie ends is about it building to that moment of action. And it's the first thing, real thing he's ever done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a powerful idea. The fact that in life we can go through just the motions Mm -hmm. of, of these uh, ineffectual stories that we're living and thinking that we're doing something important, but really it's not all that important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that the world tells us is important, but mm-hmm. they're not really that important. And really the thing that's important is saving lives and right. confronting evil mm-hmm. and like living in a world with real moral stakes, having a real moral vision for why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's real. That's based yeah. on facts. Yeah. And that's a great message, great moral yeah. message. What do you think, Luke? I think for me, it was, it was kind of, it was a, a big glaring point of, you know, what we think we know or what we think we believe, mm-hmm. and you know, we can kind of, be pulled in different directions by, people that we think we're close to or think, you know, we know, mm-hmm. um, but truth can be, skewed, and you know, we think we're believing in truth, like. You know, I can believe my best friend is a good person, but at the end of the day, I may not really know him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we need to, I guess, find what we can actually anchor to that mm. is not going to change because people, and you know, I think you made a point at the very beginning of the of the show about, you know, following your heart. <laughs> <laughs> following your heart is a terrible idea. <laughs> you should never follow your heart because, you know, your heart is... Really, always deceitful go- above all else. It's deceitful. And it's like desperately wicked. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's always German. going. It's yeah. very. Yeah. You know, it's selfish. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Really, I mean, really, our hearts are evil, and mm-hmm. that's why we need God to mm-hmm. come and transfer. You know, change that heart of stone to a heart of flesh, mm-hmm. because like otherwise, 
you know, you're just going to follow whatever the wind, you know, wherever the wind is blowing and it's ultimately going to lead to destruction. And that's, um, that's kind of how Martin starts, right. Martin starts out. He's coming to try to find a job because he's out of work. Right. And he's looking for money. And at the end though, he comes looking for a job and the job of protecting the innocent. Right. Is what is handed to him Mm -hmm. or avenging the innocent, you know, Mm -hmm. from, and, and ending what, what Harry Lyme had been doing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is kind of profound. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Highly recommend this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a part of film cinema history, cinema, the cinema greats. And uh, we'll do more of these in the days to come, weeks to come. We'll, we'll uh, every now and then pull out a golden oldie uh, yeah. that people and, should remember and right. should, should. Uh, and if you haven't seen this movie, we would really highly recommend that you go watch it before listening so you can actually be a part of the conversation. Particularly if you've already listened to the end. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Too late. There's some some movies that, you know, I think to our first episode in Batman, you probably know enough about Batman that even if you haven't seen all the movies, you could still take part in that conversation. But Mm -hmm. if this is a very specific movie, and if you haven't seen it, you should really watch it. Um, so you can kind of watch it. And if you did pause uh, conversation, if you did pause earlier and watch it and you've now heard the conversation, you might go watch it again. Cause for me, this is one of those movies that the first time I saw it, I I thought, what is this? What's the point of this? Oh, I'll definitely be watching it again. You know, like I, you kind of think this is such a strange movie. Right. And it, is it some, in some ways you feel like it wanders a little bit or that it's sort of, it's well, a little and, just and, odd, and, and because it's the, a movie compared to how we see movies that, now. Um, and actually, well, we'll be talking about um, uh, our Terrence Malick film here in, in a few weeks. But but like you watch a film by him or, or other, it it's operating on two levels, right? Mm-hmm. There's the plot level, yeah. And you watch noir movies most of the time to say who done it, right? Exactly. You know who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth, mm-hmm. and and really, there's a lot of scenes in the movie. You're supposed to watch it from an abstract level. Right, you know, definitely. Uh, yes. and, and decipher what's being said thematically, mm-hmm. not just what's happening plot-wise. Which is what is actually great. I wish this happened more today oh, yeah. when a real novelist, a real writer, writes a film. Yeah. yeah. And That's you can tell. Graham Greene, he's such a, a difference. really good writer, uh, really, really good Yeah, I'm excited uh, to go back and watch it again and kind of mm-hmm. peel back some more of those layers because I feel like each time you view it, it's going to, you're going to get something else mm-hmm. than right. you just did the first time. So. Yeah, which is, yeah. is great with these old movies because movies now rely so much on the first viewing. Oh, absolutely. And getting kind of a kick out of that. And and then when you see After it again, that, it's, it's just, you know, just it's, not the same. Same. it's yeah. just animations yeah. at the end of it. But um, no, that's great. Um, one last time, if you would like to partake of more of Graham Greene's work, we highly encourage you to visit the URL in the show description and get your free audiobook. Free. Everybody likes free. You get, get a free, a free book, book and you support the show. And you help us out. And um, anyway, check that out. Visit moralofthestorypodcast.com and share. Oh, yeah. Share don't with your friends, family. Friends, family. And enemies. And enemies. Just yes. don't shoot them <laughs> like they did <laughs> like at the end of this movie. movie. Right. Love them. <laughs> Love your don't enemies. shoot your friends or your or enemies. Your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yep. Signing off. The Moral of the Story, the podcast where a writer, a philosopher, and a filmmaker explore the stories that make us and the morality that makes the story.